Go ahead and open your Bibles with me to two portions of Scripture. One is Galatians chapter 6, and the other one is 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, Galatians chapter 6. We're going to only be in Galatians 6 really briefly. Just want to look at one verse there. And the majority of the time will be in 1 Kings 19. And we're going to look at Galatians chapter 6 first. And uh, with God's help tonight, just want to preach a message titled this. Don't quit when you're discouraged. Don't quit when you're discouraged. If you look at Galatians 6 and verse 9 with me, it tells us this, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And then I want you to turn to First Kings chapter 19 with me. And we're just going to read the first few verses, but we're going to look at most of the story tonight. And if you look at verse 1, it's obviously the story of Elijah, and it's just after chapter 18 when they have the battle royale at Mount Carmel, and obviously God wins. But if you look at verse 1, it tells us this, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as a life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. When he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Y'all may be seated, and we're going to pray and ask God to illuminate the truth he has for us in his word tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the opportunity, the privilege we have to be in your house. Thank you for the doors are open tonight, and we've been able to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I believe you've already been glorified uh, in the special, in in the music. And Lord, we want to honor and glorify you in this preaching time as well. Lord, with what is said, Lord, I, help, I just ask that you'd help me to get out of the way. Lord, with what is received, we want you to be pleased. Lord, help us to learn how to encourage ourselves in you. We love you. We sell these things in your name. Amen. You might wonder, what does this thing of discouragement have to do with, with missions? And it has a lot to do with it, doesn't it? Uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people might uh, stop praying like they should praying for laborers or giving like they should or going and being involved personally and telling others about Christ. Sometimes there might be legal reasons why someone might have to come off the field or uh, there might be a health reason why someone has to limit what the ministries they used to be involved in. Uh, There's a lot of good reasons sometimes, but there's also some bad reasons. And one of the greatest uh, destroyers, I think, of this work of missions in, in local ministries in the United States, but also in places like Ireland, is this thing we call discouragement. And probably one of the classic examples of discouragement we see in the Bible and how to overcome it is in the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, it's very evident to me, I just want to make this statement as we're getting into it, that everyone in this room, you're discouraged now, you've just been discouraged or you're about to be discouraged. And I just thought I'd try to really encourage you at the beginning, okay, with that statement. And to be honest, it seems uh, that there's been a lot to be discouraged about recently. With uh, COVID-19, a very real 
uh, pandemic that worldwide, uh, it's affected a lot of people. It affected, it's affected the church, affected Christians. Uh, and it seems that church work has become more difficult uh, to navigate uh, in this era that we find ourselves in. Uh, it me- seems that any statistic that you can measure morality in America, if you could, could uh, measure drug overdoses, if you could measure suicide, if you could measure morality in any way, it seems like it's percentage-wise off the charts in our land and probably much around the world as well. Uh, it seems the new government we have in the United States will be more hostile uh, to Christians than any other government previously has been. Uh, and it's just, there seems like there could be a lot to be discouraged about. Elijah's world, it, you definitely could say that about Elijah and his world. And Elijah, he's discouraged and he wants to give up, but the world needed Elijah's leadership more than it really needed it before. Uh, and there was still a lot more work for Elijah to do. It wasn't time for him to give up, to get out of the saddle. It wasn't time for him to quit. And the same is true for us. There's still a big world out there that still needs the gospel today. As Elijah stood up to King Ahab and Jezebel, he stood up to Baal worship in the chapter before. We know the story of Elijah in uh, chapter 17. He goes to that throne room boldly and he tells them there will not be no rain. There's not going to be any dew because of the idolatry, uh, because of uh, the human life was cheap back then. They would put babies and offer them to idols. It was a time where believers were censored to the very point that Elijah didn't realize it, but there were only 7,000 who had not bowed down the knee to Baal. Proportionally, that wasn't many people in this land, in this country, this population. Uh, And he's chosen by God to call the nation back from apostasy. And it's strange because in chapter 18, he he succeeds, doesn't he? Or he looks like he's beginning to succeed in his ministry that God's called him to. He goes to Mount Carmel, and, and if anyone ever thinks the Bible is boring, then they just need to read that story. As Elijah challenges the 850, the 400, 450, all these uh, evil prophets of Baal. And he challenges them to a showdown. And he tells them, he said, hey, he said, uh, you pray down fire from heaven to see if Baal is the God. And then I'm going to pray the same to see if Jehovah is the God. And he makes fun of them as they had all the gimmicks. They had the numbers. They outnumbered Elijah. They outnumbered the people of God. They had the, they had the majority. Uh, they had... Uh, They did all the flashy things to get people's attention. They had all these uh, great things to draw up a crowd, but they did not have the power of God. And no matter how much they screamed out or how much they jumped up and down, they could not get fire down from heaven. And Elijah begins to smack talk them. And he says, well, maybe Baal's sleeping. Maybe he's talking to someone else. Maybe he's on vacation somewhere in a different country. And nothing happens. But then it's Elijah's turn. And just to prove that, hey, there's no gimmicks There's no tricks up his sleeve. He's not working up something. This is going to come from God. He drenches that altar with water. He he builds a trench, and he fills that trench trench with water, and then he prays a simple prayer to a powerful God, and fire comes, licks up that water, consumes that altar, and the people realize, Jehovah, he is the God. And they take those prophets, those 850 false prophets, and the water runs red that day in Israel. Elijah prays, and water come, rain comes down from heaven. He runs next to Ahab in his chariot. And it seems strange that he's on the height of success on Mount Carmel, the chapter before, just a, probably a day before, and now he's in the depths of despair, 
underneath this juniper tree, wanting his life to end. The two stories of Elijah on Mount Carmel and sitting underneath this tree are in Scripture for a reason. I believe all of us are susceptible to roller coaster emotions, and maybe you have felt like Elijah before. You felt like you couldn't get victory over discouragement. Israel turns back to God, and they slaughter these prophets of Baal, but yet Elijah gets to the point in verse 4 to where he said, it is enough. It's enough. Maybe you've been that way recently. You've been watching the news. You've been hearing something. You've been uh, just been burdened about the need of our world, about people you personally know. And you say, I'm tired of it. I'm sick and tired of it. I, I'm done with this. Or you might, I, that's enough. And then you turn off Fox News, hopefully. I don't know. But maybe you've been to that point where you've just gotten really, really discouraged recently. He got to the point where he wanted to quit And tonight, I want you to notice three aspects of discouragement and what we can do to overcome it. I want you to notice first this uh, tonight, the components of discouragement. Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. We put him on a pedestal, but even this great prophet of God experienced this thing we call discouragement. And uh, this is is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's important. You know, what really set this off, this discouragement in his life? Well, it was because someone said something really ugly to him. And I would have believed her. Jezebel. Jezebel threatened him. And so oftentimes, you have to be careful with our words. We'll say something to somebody, and all of a sudden, that person that was having a victorious Christian life, they're living in victory. All of a sudden, they're completely discouraged. We have to be careful with our words. But I want you to notice tonight these components of discouragement in Elijah's life. And some components you always see when it comes to discouragement is you will always see fear. You always will see people feeling like they're a failure. Uh, Elijah, he was definitely afraid. And I would be afraid too. I would take Jezebel seriously if she said she was going to kill me. She had done it many times before to other people. Uh, Elijah uh, was afraid, but he also felt like he was a failure. He kind of had a bad self-image of himself. It's evident in verse 4, he didn't think he had done any good. He didn't really think he had made a difference in that land of Israel. Uh, He didn't think he had been any more successful in ridding Israel of apostasy than the prophets before him. And oftentimes we can get to that place in our life as as we hear things and we just get so gripped with fear. We begin feeling like what we've done in the past, it hasn't really made a difference, hasn't been any good. And uh, we're fearful for the future. We feel like we're a failure in the past. Uh, And the Bible tells us that the fear of man bringeth a snare, but he that trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. And and Satan designs fear to trap a Christian, to paralyze a Christian, to get them to quit, to get them not to do anything else for Christ. So some components you always see, many times you can identify them in your life, is this thing of fear, this thing of feeling like a failure in the past, but also you see fatigue and fertility. Let's continue reading tonight in 1 Kings 19. If you look at verse 5, it says, And he lay and slept under a juniper tree. Behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And stop being a bit. No, he, the angel, you notice that God lets him sleep, lets him eat. The angel doesn't wake him up. He doesn't get a tongue lashing yet. Let's continue reading. He lay and slept under a juniper tree. Behold, then an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked and beheld, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. He did eat and drink and laid him down again. 
And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because a journey is too great for thee. I'm glad our God understands that about us as humans. And as he arose, he did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights into Horeb, the mount of God. I think one of the components oftentimes you see with discouragement is this thing of just being completely flat worn out, physically exhausted. Uh, And that exhaustion, it causes him to enter into a deep sleep. Uh, it causes him, uh, he has this emotional exhaustion as well uh, that causes this discouragement. Sometimes mountaintops can leave us that way. It's interesting that sometimes in the Christian life, it seems like just when you're having some victory, just when you're, just when you're, uh, you feel like your, uh, your prayers are being answered, that all of a sudden you can be on your face the next day uh, in this place of discouragement. He feels alone. He, he feels paranoid. Uh, he runs away from his servant, even. Uh, he, he goes to uh, Beersheba, as far away as he can be from Jezebel and still be in Israel. And then he socially isolates himself, okay? And, and this is another mini rabbit trail maybe as well. But can I say that Satan loves it when Christians are not around other Christians? The Bible tells us, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary is a roaring lion. Walk about, seeking whom he may devour. And if you, I, I love watching some of that National Geographic type stuff and... And uh, you, you watch that those lions, and those lions, they're seeking the young. They're seeking the sickly. They're seeking the ones that are just separated away from everybody else. And that's exactly what Satan does. So you see Elijah's completely alone. He's not with any of the 7,000 that haven't bowed down the knee to Baal. He doesn't want his servant with them. He's by himself. He feels like his life is futile. It's useless. He, he's exhausted and He's looking at life through dark colored lenses. He had nothing but negative expectations of the future. And he felt like he had no way out other than to just quit. Have you ever felt like Elijah tonight? Have you been in that place where you're afraid? You feel just kind of alone. Uh, you're exhausted. You're burned out. You, you feel hopeless. If you felt that way, then tonight I want you to notice the causes of discouragement. And what can be cured, what God can do to fix it. I want you to notice this. I believe one of the biggest causes of Elijah's discouragement, it's kind of mentioned right at the the beginning in verse 6 through 8, is I don't think he was taking the right time to take care of his physical body. He was not being balanced in his life. He wasn't taking time off to get physically and emotionally rejuvenated. It's needful to make that a priority to replace our physical and emotional energy that life, that work, that school, that ministry uh, can drain from us. Because if we don't do that, we're eventually uh, going to experience discouragement. Uh, we also think we notice here another cause is I don't know how his nutrition was either. You might say, oh, okay, you're one of those, those uh, unicorn preachers. I don't even know what that means, but... I don't know why that flew in my brain. But what I'm saying is, you're like, we're talking about nutrition? Okay. Well, it's right here in the Bible. Okay, right here. Uh, What you need to do tonight. I don't don't care if you're gluten-free, if you're sugar-free. We've tried that, too, in our family sometimes, you know. If you're that, that's okay. But tonight, what you need to do is you need to go to Walmart, something like that. Go get yourself an angel food cake and eat it. If you're discouraged, even if you're not discouraged, it will prevent discouragement, okay? Prevent maintenance, because that's what God does for Elijah. He goes and he, he, the angel sends him some angel food cake. So, so your doctor would be okay even if it has gluten in it just for that, okay? But uh, seriously, 
He needed a, I don't think he was taking care of his physical body. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, God says, I sanctify you wholly. I sanctify your body and your soul and your spirit. He made three parts of us. We need to take care of all parts of what God has given us. Don't feel guilty of taking care of God's temple. And the key word is balance. Jesus even told his disciples, come ye apart and rest a while. And I've heard a preacher say once, he said, if you don't come ye apart and rest a while, you're going to slowly come apart at the seams. And I think that is definitely true. So uh, often a cause is when we're not taking care of that physical body, it directly affects uh, our spiritual life as well. But I think even more than that, another cause of this is he was believing lies about God. He was believing lies about others. He was believing lies about himself. He wasn't being honest about his discouragement. In verse 9 and 10, if you continue reading with me, God lets him get rest. God lets him get the nutrition he needs. In verse 9, he came thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel forsaken thy covenants, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Why would God ask him a question that he already knew the answer to? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God knows everything. He knows everything. But yet he asks Elijah a question that he definitely knew what he was going to say. He definitely knew the real answer, uh, even if Elijah wasn't going to be honest about it. But he asks him a question because I believe he wants to give Elijah an opportunity to be honest about what's going on. He wants to give Elijah an opportunity to talk to the one who can truly make a difference, who can truly solve those problems that he's walking through. And God listens. He doesn't interrupt him. He doesn't call down fire from heaven and consume Elijah. He doesn't do that. He listens to, as Elijah speaks. I believe as Elijah, you read that verse again, you can almost pick up his anger his self-pity, his bitterness, his, his, all these different things. And we can all have such feelings, these works of the flesh that come up in our life and discouragement starts welling up. And if we don't rid ourselves of those things, it's going to poison us from the inside out. Uh, one thing in Murfreesboro, that's where uh, Bethany's family lives. They, they attend our sending church as well. And my mother-in-law, Ruth James, she has a big old uh, uh, bathtub uh, Clawfoot, I think that's what you call them, huge. And she probably can fit like 20 grandkids in there if they're really like this small. But she can fit a lot of grandkids in there. Uh, And she does. You know, they'll run barefoot in the yard and the mud, and she'll put them in there. And that water gets disgusting, gets muddy. And sometimes I have the task of coming in there and kind of getting things cleaned up after they had a bath. And that water, you know, you kind of get that stopper and that drain, and you unplug, and you see all that dirtiness, all that water just kind of go down that drain. I don't know about you, but in my personal life, it seems that when I'm discouraged, when I have things welling up inside of me that shouldn't be there, when I talk to God, when I spend quality time with him, it's almost as if all that stuff just starts going down the drain. I believe one of the biggest causes is Elijah was not talking to God like he should. I want to remind you again here, oftentimes... I am not this way when I'm counseling other people. But God, at the beginning, he doesn't condemn Elijah at the very beginning. 
He doesn't tell him, get up, you sissy, stop, wake up. No, he lets him sleep. He knew he needed it. He lets him uh, get the nutrition he needed, and then he lets him talk. And that's important to remember here. So God does this for Elijah. I believe another cause of this discouragement in Elijah's life is I think he had started having an amnesia. He had forgotten about the past of everything that God had delivered Israel from already, what God had used him to accomplish in that nation. Uh, he forgot about the present of what God had just done, and he forgot about the future of what God uh, wanted him to, uh, to continue to do. And so oftentimes in our life, we can be like Elijah, and Elijah forgot about Zarephath. He forgot about Cherith. He forgot about that desert when he confronted Ahab. He forgot about Mount Carmel. He forgot that there may be still an Elisha out there that he needs to talk to. There might still need to be a school of the prophets started. He forgot about all those things when he was in this discouragement. And you might say, you know, uh, Josh, that's a thing for me. I hear Christians talk and people say, oh, I've seen this person saved and you know, I had this prayer answered, and they talk about all these great things. I'm not charismatic like that. You know, I don't have all those crazy things happen in my life. So I don't really have anything to forget about. Well, let me just tell you this. If you're saved tonight, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then you should remember that and remember that the God of heaven saved your soul from hell. That's something to encourage yourself in tonight. So you see these components of discouragement, these causes of discouragement. But lastly tonight... And we'll be done. I want you to notice this, the cure for discouragement. We already alluded to it. We already mentioned to it. But I, I want to emphasize it. Is the cure for discouragement does not come until we spend quality time with God. Spending quality time with God will change our view of him. Uh, you know, the, and the way we spend quality time with God today, it is through prayer. It's also through the word of God. The word of God is quick. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing and the dividing asunder of joints and marrow. That's our body, our flesh, and of the soul and the spirit, and is the discern of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And God can remove our flesh from that body and that soul, from that soul and that spirit, and He can speak into our lives. So you see this cure for discouragement. He needed to begin spending that time with God and talking to God about it. He had a wrong perspective of God. I think that's evident in verse uh, verse ten and. Also in verse 14, he pretty much repeats the same verse because God doesn't get through to him because he kind of has a hard skull like many of us do. And he accused God of infidelity practically. He kind of acted like God had forsaken him. God had abandoned him, that God had somehow failed him. He paid more attention to the negative that had happened than the positive. And I believe that almost all discouragement can be traced back to some distorted view of life. He was really, he thought he was the only one. He thought that God wasn't really coming through like he needed to. And that definitely was not true. So God decides to reveal to him just how warped, just how distorted, just uh, how wrong his views of of God and others was. Because he wanted Elijah to realize that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That he is the rock that is higher than us. So he wanted him to realize the righteous cry out to him and the Lord hears him. That greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He wanted him to realize that we can renew our strength in him, that he is our strong tower, that we can have peace in him, that we can cast all our care upon him, casting continually all the time, again and again, casting all our care upon him for he careth for us. So he he has Elijah do something. In verse 11, let's continue reading tonight. He said, go forth, stand upon the mount before the Lord, and before the Lord passed by, 
and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And as it was so, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. Behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? He sent a cyclone on this mountain, but God's not in that cyclone. He sends fire on the mountain. He's not there. He sends a tornado. He, he, he sends all these things, an earthquake that rips through the mountain, but he's not there. But he is in a still small voice. And I want to remind you tonight, though sometimes it might seem like God is silent, God is never absent. I've read some commentaries about this, good commentaries that talk about all the symbolism and what all this meant. And I think that's, you know, good to study in these things. Uh, and, and you're like, you know, fire symbolized this and the mountain and, the, and, and all these different things. And there's a lot. And the, all the comment, some of them disagree with each other of what all these things symbolize, what they were trying to teach Elijah. But just my common sense and your common sense, let's just look at it this way tonight. Let me just ask you a few questions to come to the conclusion to what God is trying to teach Elijah here through this earthquake, this fire, this tornado. Let me ask you this. I'm looking for raises of hands tonight. Is there anybody here that you have survived an earthquake? You've been in an earthquake before. There's our Californians right over there, okay? Uh, anybody you survived or tornado? You've been in tornadoes. Okay, Arkansas people, Oklahoma, um, okay. And then what about a fire? You've been in a fire. Anybody like that? Okay, there's a couple that have been in a fire. Now, let me ask you this. Is there anybody here, you've survived a fire, an earthquake, and a tornado in your lifetime? You've been in all three of those things in your life. Okay, there's one. There's one. Okay, that's amazing. Now, let me ask you this, brother. Have you been in a fire, an earthquake, or tornado in like five minutes? I don't think that's ever happened to anybody, right? And if that has happened to you, then I want to meet you after the service. We're going to contact Hollywood. I'll help you write the book. We'll write the book together, and we'll be really successful with that, okay? That, you have a really famous story, survival, okay? Elijah, he's in these three natural disasters that some of us never even encounter. And probably less than five to ten minutes, these things touch down on this mountain. And he's still alive. He hasn't died yet. He's afraid to die, isn't he? He's afraid Jezebel's going to kill him. What do you think God is trying to tell Elijah? Elijah, I'm not going to let you die. Elijah, it's not time for you to quit. Elijah, there's still more work for you to do. Elijah, I'm with you. I'm for you. I care for you. I'm going to protect you from Jezebel. He shows them this. He was showing them that he could protect him, I believe, and we need to remember that God wants the best for us as well. His thoughts are, are good for us, not of evil, to give us an expected end. But also, this might be a little bit of Joshology, and I know pastors kind of, oh no, you know, when you hear something like that. But one other thing I think I see here, uh, may not be able to emphatically say it as much, but it's amazing to me that God is not in all these huge, big things on the mountain, but he is in the small voice. And sometimes we look for God and the extraordinary, which we should, but we don't look for God in the ordinary things. 
We look for God in the miraculous things of life, but we don't look for God in the mundane things of life. And Elijah, I don't know if that was his case. Maybe that was, where he just thought, you know, God, I just thought you were going to do so much more than you did. I just thought Jezebel was going to come on her hands or knees and Ahab was just going to come and say, oh, Elijah, we're so sorry. I just thought they were, they were going to get right with God. And, but I, didn't have, I don't know if that's how big of a revival he was expecting and he didn't get that. I don't know if that was his expectations. But oftentimes we look for God in these huge, big things, as we should, but we forget God in the small things. We forget God in that daily walk with God every day, in that prayer time, in that Bible reading, something that God gave to us. And we can't forget to forget, we can't afford to forget that still small voice of God in our lives as well. That's a miraculous thing to have as a Christian. So he is showing him he could protect him, but then God reminds him of something. Uh, we already mentioned in verse 14, Elijah, he asked Elijah what he's doing there. Elijah still hasn't gotten the picture, like, most of us would have been in the same boat. In verse 14, he repeats his answer, and God's like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to tell him what he needs to do. Now the counseling time begins. In verse 15, God, the Lord says unto him, go return on thy, thy way of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. You know what Haziel is going to do? Haziel is going to bring God's judgment on, uh, on Israel. Haziel's Assyrian king is going to come and he's going to bring the judgment on the people that have not uh, turned away from Baal yet. So God is working. Uh, but then in verse 16, he says, And Jehu, I want you to anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thy anoint to be king over Israel. You know what Jehu's going to do? He's taking care of Elijah's problem. Jehu's going to be the guy that gets Jezebel and shoves her out that tower, tells him to throw her down, and those dogs are going to, to eat her up. So, God's taking care of the problems. He just needed Elijah uh, to listen, to trust him, not to quit. Uh, verse 17, he, he talks about uh, some more uh, things we read about later. And then verse 18, he, God just throws something in there. Hey, let me correct a lie you've repeated twice to me now. He says, yet I have left me 7,000 Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. And so if we're going to have the cure for discouragement, most important, we need to spend quality time with God. That's an imperative. We must do that. And God's going to begin to change our perspective on what's going on in our lives and the lives of others and of him. But also we need to remember that there's other Christians, and that's, we're going to see that if we spend time with God. There's other Christians that are still serving God, other Christians in the past that have been slain, that have, have died for the faith. And I, I just want to remind you tonight that if we're going to have a cure for discouragement, we need to remember there's other Christians out there. Remember, we're not the only ones. Other Christians now, they're Christians in the past. Do you realize that this story, most of our Bible was written underneath ungodly leadership when they didn't have no, really any kind of political Messiah? Most of our Bible was written during times like that. Most of our Bible was written when religious liberty was not an option. In fact, the New Testament, uh, many people would say that was a pre-Christian world. However, people say today that we live in a post-Christian world, and that's, that's true. But yet, in a pre-Christian world, God was able to use a, a few people to turn the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe God can still do the same thing in our generation as well. And what you see, I want to remind you that there's been Christians all around our world that, that pe they have been looking for his coming. I've heard a lot today about the end times. 
that we live in the last days. I've heard that since I was a boy, and I believe that with my heart. I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. But so did every Christian and generation before us. In fact, in the New Testament, in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and 1 Peter and 2 Peter, things got so bad that they almost began not to believe that there was going to be a rapture. They thought they were in the tribulation. And Paul said, you're not appointed unto wrath. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel. Uh, and, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are, uh, are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord in the air. The reason why I mention that to you tonight is just to say this. We remember that in the past that Christians lived in really dark and difficult times. But yet, but yet, they decided, you know, we're going to use this as a motivation to tell as many people about Christ before he comes back. And we need to remember that tonight. So we need to remind ourselves what Christians have endured, what Christians are enduring today in China, in North Korea, all around uh, the 1040 window, all around the world, there's Christians that are serving Christ despite of the difficulty. But the cure for discouragement, he, we need to invest our life in somebody else and make an eternal difference in their life. Sometimes the best way to encourage yourself is to try to encourage somebody else. If you look at verse 19, it ends, the story ends as, as God tells him to go find Elisha and to make him the new prophet. And we know Elisha does twice as much as a double portion than Elijah ever did in his ministry. And he wanted him to find himself an Elisha. And not only did he do that, if we continue reading on the chapters after that, he started a school of prophets. He started a Bible college pretty much and he invested in untold numbers of people. And I just want to challenge you tonight that we need to have a compassion to make a difference. We need that. Jesus was moved by compassion when he saw the multitudes. We need that. But every time you see in Jesus' ministry and you see ministry happen in the Bible, it didn't just stop with being burdened for a big group of people. It got really, really personal really quick. And Jesus started interacting with individuals. You see, that happens in Elijah's life. God says, Elijah, go to Elisha. And in your life, I'm sure there's people in Harrison, Tennessee, and you know people would say, we're in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. I, I lived in Murfreesboro for four years. But on that bus route, I had kids on that bus that who were 13 years old who never heard of Jesus other than as a curse word, couldn't tell you the first thing about Jesus. I had people in our addictions program, if you asked them how to be saved, they'd say, well, my daddy was a deacon at that Baptist church over there. I was baptized at this little creek down there. And that's all they could tell you. They couldn't tell you the simple truth of the gospel. Now, I just want to challenge you tonight simply to find yourself in Elisha. Don't just be burdened for Harrison. Be burdened for one person that you work with. Don't just be burdened for, I, I, we need to start, we can start, me and Bethany, with a burden for Ireland. But when we get there, we need a purpose to go after individuals and go after people. So he goes after Elisha. He invests himself in him. He makes a great eternal difference for God. Don't over-isolate. Don't get wrapped up about yourself. Work for God. By choosing to take care of himself and change his perspective on God and of others and, and, and help Elisha, Elijah was cured from discouragement. And I want to challenge you to make the same decision tonight. May our dark days keep us tender enough to keep us focused on him. The cure will not come for that discouragement until we, we spend that quality time with God. 
As you pray with me tonight, I'm going to ask your pastor to come and, and lead us, however God would uh, lead him and, and would see fit. But I just want to challenge you tonight. If you're here and you say, Brother Josh, uh, if you just bow your heads with me as we, we talk to God here in a minute, I just want to challenge you. Maybe you're here and you say, Brother Josh, I, I've been kind of giving up. I've been kind of quitting on things. When I look at the state of our world I'm very discouraged. I've had some things personally said to me, personally done to me, and it's left me in a very dark place. I felt like a failure. I've been afraid and all these things. Well, I want to challenge you this with, with this. Have you, been spend, have you been having a good walk with God? Have you been spending quality time with him? Let me challenge you with this as well. Are, are you over-isolating yourself? Are you separating yourself from the brethren? Are you investing your life in other people to make an eternal difference in their life? Are you living a balanced Christian life physically and spiritually? I want to challenge you tonight. Maybe you're here and you said, Brother Josh, I've kind of quit on some things. I've, I'm thinking about quitting. I've been discouraged about some things. And I need to just re-up with the Lord tonight. I need to tell him that I, I've not been thinking straight about him, about others, about myself. God wants to meet with us tonight. I'm going to ask your pastor to continue and lead and however God leads him.